goodbyes are no fun, are they? We just returned from a few days with our two daughters and their families in Virginia, and I cry like a baby every time we leave. In our family, some of our most painful goodbyes are when we left our parents and siblings to serve as missionaries in Mexico City for three years. That was a hard goodbye. Another gut-wrenching goodbye was when we left our previous church after 14 years to follow the Lord's leading to serve with you here on Team Edgewood. And our family is, well, we're now experiencing a different kind of farewell. Some of you know about this farewell. As we say a long goodbye to my mom, who was recently placed on hospice. This week, uh, when we're with our grandkids, our oldest is five, his name is Pip, and I said, Pip, what does goodbye mean to you? And it was so precious, I asked him to repeat it. I went and got a piece of paper. That's what pastors do, always looking for sermon illustrations. And so here's what he said. He calls me Pa. Pa, goodbye is when somebody who you really love is going back to their house And also, if their house is far away from somebody else's house. (laughs) Well, as we come to the second half of Acts chapter 20 in our On Mission series, we're going to see and hear and encounter an emotional goodbye from the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul's preparing to leave, and before he leaves Ephesus, he calls the elders, the church leaders together, and he gives them an exhortation to keep going. Because he knows they're about to go back to their faraway house. We could summarize his goodbye this way, and this has application to our world today. If you want to finish well... Celebrate God's provision in the past. Surrender to his plans in the present. And make sure you're serving faithfully in the future. Last weekend, Pastor Dan did a super job. and He helped us mine for golden nuggets. He was in the first half of Acts chapter 20, and his main point was this. A gospel-centered life compels us to gather together, to grow, to give, and then to go with the gospel. Speaking of giving and going, thanks to your generosity, 611 children from around the world will receive the gospel and other gifts in their Operation Christmas shoeboxes this year. Way to go, church. Next weekend, we're going to begin a brand new series. Uh, We're calling it The Cast of Christmas. And I'm really looking forward to next weekend especially. We're going to look at the Old Testament and what the Old Testament says in anticipation of Jesus coming. We're going to look at what the prophets said. And then the next week, the joyful proclamation of the angels. And then we're going to journey with the shepherds. And then we'll see what happens when this cast of characters comes face to face with Jesus Christ, the main character of Christmas, on Christmas Eve. Now, on Christmas Eve, we're going to have 
two services, Christmas Eve, that's December 24th, at 2 and 4 o'clock. But we're also going to have an Eve of Christmas Eve service. The day before Christmas Eve, we'll have a service at 6 o'clock. So December 23rd at 6, Christmas Eve, 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 sets the context for our text. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Acts chapter 20. There are Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as our gift to you. Verse 17, we read these words. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. It's been our practice to consult a map. It's helpful. The Apostle Paul has been in Ephesus for about three years. I circled that with purple. That's where he's been hanging out. Now he goes on a journey. He goes north into Asia, that pink area. Then he crosses over, lands near Philippi in Macedonia, heads to Thessalonica, Berea, comes down, circles around Athens, lands in Corinth, comes all the way back again, and he's, he's going to come and land just outside of Ephesus in a town called Miletus. Now, you can read in the book of Acts, he thinks about traveling by land when he gets there, but instead he decides to take the channel cat, well, or something like that. He, he takes this like commuter ship that just jetted along the shoreline, and he stops in Miletus, and he calls for the Ephesian elders together. It's almost like a spontaneous pastor's conference before saying goodbye to them. Now, Miletus is a seaport town. It's about, a far, it's about as far away from uh, Ephesus as Rock Island is to Alito, just to give us some context. Now, I've benefited from the exegetical outline of Warren Wiersbe in this passage, and I'm going to be utilizing elements of his excellent work to frame our study today. So let's learn how Paul's mode of ministry can be a model for our ministry as well. Number one, let's celebrate God's provision in the past. It's normal to share memories from the past when you reconnect with someone. My guess is if you gathered with family these last few days, you did that. We do that all the time when we're with our daughters. We're like, do you remember when? And they often say, do you remember when? And Beth and I are like, no, we don't remember that. (laughs) But we tell significant stories. We repeat experiences, highlights, fun times, and even sad times. We go all the way back to our childhood sometimes. Well, Paul does something similar. Check it out, verses 18 to 21. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So first, we see the manner of his ministry. From the very first day, Paul hung out with people. He wasn't like this religious celebrity 
who spent time in the green room. Now look at verse 18. I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. That word among means together with them in their midst. Paul was a shepherd who spent time with his sheep. Notice next the motive for his ministry. Paul was committed to serving the Lord, you see it, with all humility. He was tough and he was tender. Observe, he went through trials with tears. Many of you know what that's like. He served the Lord by loving the Lord's people. 2 Corinthians 2.4 gives us insight into his loving leadership. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Verse 20 gives us the message of his ministry. Paul says he did not shrink back. He didn't avoid sharing the tough truths of God's word. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The job of a preacher is to declare the whole counsel of God. Even those things we'd rather not hear, those things that make us go out, or those things that bring us up short, Because anything that God once said, he's put in his book and we must preach what God says because what God says is profitable for his people. Recently, I received a phone call from an Edgewood member and she wanted to to share a thought and I said, well, I'd love to hear it. And she said, well, Pastor Brian, I've, I've not heard a message for a while on the second coming of Jesus Christ, on, on the end times. And, and I think our church needs to hear that, particularly in light of what we're going through as a society right now. And I said, you know what? You're right. And so this last, these last couple of weeks, I've been praying about that. And so the weekend right after Christmas, Christmas Eve, we're going to focus on his first coming. And then the weekend right after that on Sunday, we're going to focus on his second coming. Now, I love how Paul ministered in public and in private ways. He taught in, taught in large group settings. And would you observe, he met with people in their homes. This model was established in Acts 2.46. Believers attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Acts 5.46, and every day in the temple, 5.42, in the temple and from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's why we stress the importance of getting into a growth group in a smaller group of people, gathering in a large group and in smaller groups. He not only ministered in every place, observe, he spoke to every person, testifying to both Jews, those from a religious background, and Greeks, those from a pagan background. We've pointed out several times the message of the gospel is repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Greek, repentance and faith are joined together. We're called to turn from the way we've been living, turn from sin, and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Acts 3.19 says, Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And that's why here at Edgewood, 
You're going to hear. You're going to hear preaching about repentance from sin and receiving Christ as Savior. So friends, if you want to finish well, and I know you do, make sure you celebrate God's provision in the past. Secondly, surrender to his plans in the present and serve faithfully in the future. So let's look how Paul talks about the present. Verse 22, he shifts from the past. How do we know he's in the present? Well, look at verse 22. He says, and now, behold. This could be translated as, and now, lo and behold. This is what's in front of me now. Now, what he's about to say, most of us don't don't see coming. It's stunning, actually. Here's why, because most of us avoid affliction. If we're like, affliction's over there, we're going this way, right? If if there's trouble here, we're going over here. We steer away from suffering. That's not what Paul did. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, here's what he does know, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He's bound by the Spirit. The Spirit's making it very clear that he's to go. He's not looking for the easy button. And somehow the Holy Spirit made it clear that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him. And the tense indicates the Spirit earnestly, repeatedly, told him this, and he still wanted to go. The word affliction means to be compressed, squeezed, crushed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's no way to avoid affliction. There's no way. First Thessalonians 3.3, Paul said about his own suffering, we were destined for this. 2 Timothy 3.12 doesn't let us off the hook of hardship. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, not maybe, will be persecuted. Last week, the Barna Group released the results of a new study with this headline, got my attention, 38% of U.S. pastors have thought about quitting full-time ministry in the past year. Here's the opening paragraph. Quote, with pastors' well-being on the line and many on the brink of burnout, nearly two in five pastors have considered quitting full-time ministry. Now, Now, here's the part of the study that really got me. That percentage is up nine full points since church leaders were asked that same question at the beginning of this year, from January until now, 9% higher. So I had a pastor's roundtable meeting. I meet with a group of pastors uh, once a month. I try to go whenever I can. We met here in Rock Island, and that group is growing. And I brought up this survey, and one of my pastor friends said, is that all? I thought it would be much higher. And I could tell from his face that he was part of that statistic. 
Listen, ministering as a minister during COVID and the tumult in our culture has certainly not been easy, but guess what? It's not been easy for any of you. Any of you. The stresses, the, the relapses into addictions that you thought were in the past, the tension, the isolation, the depression, the, the restlessness. Now, I'm also encouraged, though, another study found most pastors are persevering through all those troubles. What a good example of how our feelings are not to dictate our faith. Wiersbe then sees six graphic word pictures, which explains why Paul didn't pull the plug on ministry. So Paul runs headlong into affliction. He steers into struggles. Well, here's why. First of all, he saw himself as an accountant. Accountant. Look at the first part of verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. It's like he added up his life, and he got to the end, and he concluded that he was valuable to the Lord, but at the same time, he didn't prize his own personhood. He, he didn't highly esteem himself because he focused on exalting the Lord. Perhaps your mind is going to another passage with the word count in it, Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Second word picture is that of a runner. We see that in the next phrase. I'm still in verse 24. If only I may finish my course. One of the memories I have is of running with our daughter Lydia. I first started running with her when she was in junior high and she ran track and cross country. And now even when we see each other, we still like to run together. She signed me up for a turkey trot on Thursday morning and for old times sake I like to run I'm the old timer in that one of the things I used to do in a race with Lydia is I'd get about a hundred yards away from the finish line and then I'd act like I I needed to stop I'm like Lydia I don't I don't think I can make it and she'd go dad are you okay then I'd kind of touch her and I'd say trick you and I'd run off Try to get to the end of the, to the finish line before she did. It never worked. Well, on Thursday, I was actually struggling, struggling during the whole race. I have asthma, and I, I pre-treated before I ran. And during the run, I'm like, <gasps> I was really struggling. She goes, Dad, are you okay? Are you? And I wasn't okay. It was hard. Anyway, about 100 yards away from the race, I thought, I got to have a little left in me. So Lydia's looking at me with this deep concern on her face, and I just took off running. But because I didn't have any gas in my tank, she just blew by me. (laughs) Listen, Paul is not interested in slowing down. He's not like, well, let me coast into eternity. No. He's got his eye on the finish line, and he is running full speed. The word finish means to bring to the full end, to complete the course. 
Paul sees his life, and we must too, as a race to run, a course to complete. In 1 Corinthians 9, he's like, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to be DQ'd in my life. This is what he writes, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I may find myself disqualified. Shortly before the Apostle Paul died, he wrote some words, and we have those. The last words of our loved ones are treasures, aren't they? We have that treasure in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Right before the Apostle Paul died, this is what he said. I want to say this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Will you be able to say that? Will I? In Colossians 4.17, he looks out at Christ followers and he wants all of us to finish strong. This is what he writes. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Made me think of Erwin Lutzer's radio ministry, Running to Win. Friends, let's run to win (laughs) and not slow down. The next word picture is that of a steward. Notice the next phrase, that I received from the Lord Jesus. A steward knows he or she owns nothing. A steward faithfully manages what belongs to someone else, and he or she does it faithfully. Pastor Dan said last week, we're to steward the time we've been given, the talents, our gifts, and the treasures, because it all comes from God. Brothers and sisters, everything you have ultimately comes from the Lord, and it belongs to him. You you just get to manage it. it. It's really not yours. It's not mine. We're managers. And would you notice how the good news of the gospel and the grace of God go together in the next word picture? Paul pictures himself as a witness who is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The tense indicates he did so repeatedly with earnest intensity. Next word picture, number five, is that of a herald. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That word proclaiming is the idea of a herald. A herald is one who's sent out from the king with an announcement. His charge is to give the message from the king. Not to change it, not to add to it, but to give the message. Final picture is that of a watchman. A watchman protects the walls from the onslaught of the enemy. On our way out to Virginia, we stopped at a hotel and spent the night. I got up early the next morning to work on this sermon, and I'm out in the the lobby area, and it was pretty early, so there's really nobody around. And after an hour or so, people started stumbling. You know how people look when they come out of their motel rooms in the morning and they're looking for coffee? Yeah, that was me when I came down, and I got to watch others kind of fill in the lobby area. And then the breakfast area opened up, and so now there's different people eating, and I'm still working. Well, I had to step away for a bit, and so I saw a mom and a young son off to my right, and I said, ma'am, could, could you watch my stuff while I step away for a little bit? She's like, yeah, no problem. 
Well, as I'm walking away, I decide to turn back to make sure she hadn't stolen anything, right? So I look back, and her eight-year-old son is standing at attention like this, like guarding my laptop. I mean, he's just all about it. And so when I got back, I thanked him. I said, dude, thank you. He saluted me. (laughs) He said, you asked us to watch your stuff. When he saluted, he said, yes, sir, happy to help. (laughs) And so Beth came down, and I I had texted her. I said, hey, Beth, can you bring a dollar down with you? And so I I gave a dollar to this boy. He was pretty happy about that. And then I was just looking for an opportunity to give a witness. And so I said, I said, young man, God has plans and purposes for your life. And he goes, yep, I know that. (laughs) I'm like, okay. And so then I asked him what he thinks God wants him to do with his life. And Mason, I should have him talk to you because this was his answer. Play video games. I didn't know what to do with that. I looked at the mom. The mom was like rolling her eyes and I thought I'd just leave that one alone. Paul is saying he's a watchman. He's standing at attention. Now, a watchman in the Old Testament guarded the walls. Why? Because at night, the enemy would come. The watchman would guard the wall, and he would warn if there was a breach in the wall. Look at verses 26 and 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That image goes back to Ezekiel chapter 3. Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. Here's the phrase, but his blood I will require at your hand. And so because Paul warned people of the wrath to come and he preached the whole counsel of God, he could say, I'm innocent of their blood. What they do with the warning is on them. But I didn't shrink from declaring it. I told them about the wrath of God. I told them about the fury and the wrath of God unleashed in a hot place called hell if people don't turn and repent of their sins. Paul could say, I'm innocent of anyone's blood because I fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get a clue about this. Look at chapter 18, verse 6. He says this, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. He's speaking to religious people. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So friends, listen, if you want to finish well, and I know you do, celebrate God's provision in the past, make sure you're surrendered to his plans in the present, and serve faithfully in the future. That leads number three, serve faithfully in the future. Paul brought his goodbye to a close. He charged the Ephesian elders to serve faithfully. I'm in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. So he says, look to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. First he says, heed your own holiness. Pay careful attention. That was used of keeping a ship on course so it doesn't go off course, especially through a storm. Listen, before a pastor can pastor, he must give attention to how he's doing personally. Paul pleaded to a young pastor named Timothy to heed his own holiness. He said, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. For in so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Secondly, says shepherd the sheep. God calls pastors and church leaders to shepherd and oversee God's flock. Thirdly, feed the flock. That phrase, to care for the church of God, refers to guiding, feeding, and tending. You know, every Edgewood pastor takes the feeding of the flock seriously. I echo what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, I want to have the best loved and best fed sheep on earth. You know, we see God's heart for feeding in Jeremiah 3.15. I'll give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Next, Paul gives two warnings. <laughs> Here's why. Because he knows problems are going to enter the church after he leaves. So he says there's dangers around you. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That word fierce means harsh, heavy, oppressive, severe. Consider how wolves hunt. They often hunt in a pack. They'll, tra- they'll trail prey for days before launching an attack. They look for weak, straying, and isolated sheep. Well, I can't help but make an application there. If you're not connected on a regular basis to God's people, you're in danger. Because when you isolate, when you're by yourself, you are in a very vulnerable spot. Because it's then the wolves move in for the kill. In addition, wolves often operate in the dark. They often approach sheep from behind before they even know they're there. Let's take heart. Take what Jesus said to heart. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. (laughs) Everything looks good. But inwardly they are, check this phrase, ravenous wolves. Secondly, he says there's dangers among you. We guard ourselves because sometimes dangers come from within. Verse 30, we read this. And from among your own selves, he's writing to the church leaders will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That word twisted means distorted, seductive, perverted. Paul tells us what he really thinks about these dangers. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. In verses 31 to 35, Paul urges these leaders and us to serve faithfully in the future. Check this. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. He made tents and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen, there are at least five sins mentioned here that we need to be on guard against. Number one is carelessness, where we just stop caring. Paul says, be alert. That means to pay attention to danger because there's danger around us. Paul modeled this, right? For three years, night and day, he admonished people with tears. His warning and his weeping should serve as constant reminders to us. Make sure you're not on coast or autopilot. Secondly, shallowness. Uh, verse 32 challenges us by, to grow by reading and heeding the word of grace. Listen, if you're just skimming along on the surface, it's not enough. It's time to go deep with God. Thirdly is covetousness, verse 33. He reminds them about himself. He didn't covet silver. He didn't covet gold or fine apparel. Laziness, he pointed to how hard he worked in verse 34. Probably showed them his hands that were calloused. And then number five, selfishness. We're told in verse 35 to help the hurting and serve those who are suffering. The word help means to take hold of another by the hand. True ministry is all about giving. It's not about getting. Very interesting. Paul here quotes some words of Jesus that you won't find in the Gospels. In some of your Bibles, it's in red. Words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You're like, well, what's up with that? Well, John 21, 25 tells us Jesus did and said other things which even the books of the whole world could not contain. Well, here we have something Jesus said. He says it's more blessed, which means very much more blessed. You know, one of the ways that you and I can experience a big blessing is participating in Christmas curbside, December 6th and 7th. We did this last year, and it was incredible how much you gave. And we're supporting several different ministries and organizations, Youth Hope, Pregnancy Resources, Safe Families, Christian Care, Active Day Healthcare, and a domestic abuse shelter for women. There are handouts out in both lobbies with lists of items uh, that you can purchase and then just bring here underneath the portico on Monday and Tuesday, December 6 and 7. You can also get that list on our website. And let me also say, as it relates to giving, uh, some of you look for ways to bless others with your end-of-the-year giving. Could I encourage you just to pray about what God might want you to do in giving to grow time uh, so that we can reduce our loan principal on our facility renovation and expansion project. Now, speaking of how giving brings bountiful blessings, we want to recognize how God has used Loretta Reynolds as a Sunday school teacher here at Edgewood, get this, for 62 years. She's stepping down because of some health limitations or she'd still be teaching. When I asked her what led her to serve for over six decades, this is what she said. She was so humble too. 
God has given me many years to pray and to teach. Let me just stop there. I didn't ask her about her prayer. I I was talking about teaching, but did you notice? She's praying for her students. She's praying for kids. She's been doing that for 62 years. Thanks be to Him, for His mercy endures forever. He gave me the grace and mercy to do it. I felt so inadequate, but since God is faithful, I tried to be faithful. I'm going to miss it. The Lord help me. There's no doubt that Loretta will hear these words from the Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. She'll be here tomorrow morning. I've asked her to attend both services tomorrow so we can have her stand. She doesn't want any attention, so I took this picture a couple weeks ago. I had to plead with her even to take the picture. And an Edgewood member was sitting behind her, Tara Carter, and she said, she was my teacher! And Tara said that she's very kind, but she didn't let anyone mess around. (laughs) Loretta also taught Tara's daughters. Among others she's taught are Lisa Mattia, our missionary Stacy Hobing, and Patty Steele. I reached out to Patty to get her thoughts. One thing that's always been an example to me is Loretta's faithfulness. Even when Loretta was experiencing some of life's heartaches, there she would be ready to teach her girls. Recently, I had the privilege of observing Loretta teach. She still shows a calm spirit and has a sweetness to her delivery as she presents God's word and touches the lives of these little ones. It's been an honor having her as my teacher and having her as my colleague. She'll be greatly missed but fondly remembered by the primary department. Also in my own family, she taught not only me, but Susie and Abby and Bryn. That's three generations. I wonder if she was your teacher or she taught any of your children. Could you just raise your hand? Anyone here? To look at that, okay. Uh, she has made a huge impact here at Edgewood. And I wonder who's going to take her place. <laughs> Would you sign up if somebody said, you're like, how long do I have to do this? Uh, 62 years. <laughs> hey, we'll see how that goes. So if you want to finish well like Loretta, celebrate God's provision in the past, surrender to his plans in the present, serve faithfully in the future. So after focusing on finishing well, check out Paul's final goodbye. It's so tender. When he had said these things, he knelt down. He prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. The phrase knelt down has the idea of falling to one's knees. As Paul prayed, they lamented. Much weeping means they wailed loudly. They clung to him. They kissed him repeatedly and affectionately on the cheeks. And while they were going to miss him personally, it was the preaching of the word he had spoken they would miss the most. Friends, knowing that going with the gospel always involves hard goodbyes. They accompanied or sent him to the ship for the next leg of his journey. Let me offer two applications today, one for those of you who are not yet saved and the other for followers of Christ. If you don't know Jesus yet, it's time to repent and receive Christ. If you don't know Jesus through the new birth, I must warn you. If you have not trusted in the shed blood of Jesus for salvation, you will pay the price with your own blood by spending eternity 
in a hot place called hell. You don't have to go there. Turn now. Repent of your sins. Believe Jesus died in your place as your substitute, was raised on the third day, and receive him as your Savior and Lord. Application number two. Recalibrate and refocus. If you're a Christ follower and you've been drifting, you've been coasting, it's time to recommit yourself to follow him faithfully until you reach the finish line. Need to confess any sin? Need to confess an addiction? Do you have a backslidden heart? Ask God to break you and then put you back together. Let's be like our teens at their retreat and plead with God to send revival in our own hearts, and in our church. Psalm 85, 6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You know, the practice of saying goodbye goes back many centuries. The phrase, so long, farewell, makes some of you think of the sound of music. Others of you are thinking of hasta la vista, and you're thinking of the Terminator movies. For some of us, it's see you later, or simply later. Or if you're texting, it might be see ya, or T-T-Y-L, talk to you later, or T-T-F-N, ta-ta for now, or B-R-B, be right back. I like the Spanish phrase, vaya con Dios. Do you know what that means? Go with God. Even the word adios, adios, to God. The word goodbye originally came from the Old English, God by, which was a contraction of the farewell phrase, God be with ye. And because they didn't have a means of communication or transportation like we have today, people never knew if they were going to see one another again, and they certainly couldn't Zoom or FaceTime or text. And so when they said goodbye, they were saying, God be with you as a sincere send-off. Because we left Virginia early Friday morning, we said our goodbyes before going to bed Thursday night. And before leaving, we wrote a note with this P.S. Not goodbye, but God be with you. Hey, here's an idea. Let's bring back God be with you. Let's not say goodbye. Let's say God be with you. Friends, if you want to finish well, celebrate God's provision in the past, surrender to his plans in the present, and serve faithfully in the future. Or if you're up for singing your goodbyes, which I'm not going to. (laughs) You could sing these lyrics. Some of you know them. I wonder if they're based on Paul's parting words. God be with you until we meet again. By his counsel's guide, uphold you. With his sheep in love, enfold you. God be with you until we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. When life's perils thick confound you, put his arms on failing round you. God be with you till we meet again. Till we meet. Till we meet. God be with you till we meet again. Till we meet. Till we meet. Till we meet at Jesus' feet. I'm going to invite you to stand and receive God's goodbye. And this one is recorded for us as a benediction. It's found in the book of Numbers, 
chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. Oh, the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His shalom, His peace. Have a good rest of the weekend.